the presence of God should not be treated as a common thing. You only truly know what you're missing when it's gone. Amen. For the baby in the back. And in a church like Oceans, with pastors like our pastors, the anointing and the presence of God is a regular thing. It is a regular thing. We experience the presence of God in this place on a weekly basis because we have a pastor, we have a leader who is a presence-driven leader. He is a presence-driven worshiper. He is a presence-driven studier as he gets in the word. Everything he does, he does led by his spirit. I have heard our pastor pray this prayer. God, take everything from me, but do not let your spirit depart from me. We cannot treat the presence of God as a common thing. And as soon as you do, you are stepping into such a dangerous place. It's truly in his presence where everything begins to shift. I've seen religion. I've had glimpses of it and tastes of it. And it's never brought me any closer to God. So many people, they want, you know, an extra long vacation and let's have five vacations in a row because I'm just so wore out and I'm so tired. Well, I'm here to tell you tonight, the only way you're actually going to find true rest is in the presence of God. Listen to me. Listen to me. This is so heavy on my heart right now. You know, we're real quick to point the finger at the addict or the alcoholic because of what they've done wrong. But as Christians, when we need rest or when we need joy, we also go to the things of the world, thinking that vacations and Netflix and all these other things are gonna fix it when we really need to be on our knees. It's only in his presence where everything begins to shift. Come on guys, it's a Saturday night service. We didn't come here for just another word. We came here for an encounter with you, God. God, I came here for an encounter with you. Lord, don't let me leave this place the same way that I walked in because yesterday's anointing will never be enough for tomorrow's transgressions and tomorrow's tribulations. God, I need a fresh encounter. God, I need a fresh anointing. God, I need a fresh visitation from heaven. Lord, it's in your presence where everything begins to shift and everything begins to change. Help me tonight, God, to stay on track. And get me through this word, Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. 
Well, as you can see, I'm not Pastor Alex. I want to extend my honor and my gratitude to him. He asked me to take the service tonight, and it is an absolute privilege and an honor to be with you. And I thank you, Pastor. And if every single one of you would just please do me a really big favor and just receive me as a son in the house, as an extension of his ministry rather than a replacement in his absence, and I would be forever grateful to each and every one of you. Second Corinthians 3 and 17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You will not find deliverance and you will not find freedom in anything else except the Spirit of the Lord. It is in His presence where freedom is found. It is in His presence where everything is broken and everything can change. Psalm 16:11 says, You will show me the path of life, and in your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It is in His presence where you will actually find true joy. We can search and do a lot of really good things that aren't God things in an effort to find true joy. But the only place you will actually experience true joy is in God's presence. You will not find it in a comedy show. You will not find it in the next greatest rom-com. You will not find it in having a great evening. And I'm not against having great evenings. And hear my heart, I'm not against breaks. I'm going to go after rest in just a moment too. And it may sound like I'm coming against taking breaks or taking vacations. I love breaks. I'm not speaking against them. Are you with me? Take them. Enjoy your family. It's a good thing. It's a God thing. But a vacation will never replace the true rest that you find in the presence of God. It's different. You get into the presence of God for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, and you walk out of that place feeling bold, feeling rejuvenated, feeling alive, feeling like you can take on the world. There's not a vacation in the world that's going to do that for you. You spend 20 minutes in the presence of God and all of a sudden the smile that has left your face because of circumstances and situations and that really rude coworker that you've just been praying, God, touch him. You spend 20 minutes in the presence of God and then all of a sudden that frown gets turned upside down. Everything begins to shift. But it's only in his presence. You will not find it anywhere else. Exodus 33, 13 through 16 says, Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Acts 19, or Acts 13, Acts 3, 19. I'm somewhere in the future. It says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Pastor, I'm burnt out. I'm wore out. I can't go anymore. I need, to, I need to just take a long break, just a month off. No. Maybe you need to take a short break, but you need to get in the presence of God. When I'm at my lowest, when I'm at my weakest, when I feel like I can't go anymore, 
There is nothing that fills me the way the presence of God does. When I am feeling weak and dejected and not good enough, listen, there is nothing like the presence of God. When I'm broke down and busted and feel like I can't go anymore, there is nothing like the presence of God. And we're really good at trying to replace the presence with other things. As a child, there's a lot of flowers up here. It looks really pretty. <laughs> Mother's Day is going to be awesome. Somebody say amen. <clears throat> um, as a very young child, a very little boy, I remember when I would get sick and I would get the flu, we had this stuff. Um, nowadays, we got DayQuil and NyQuil, but it was like, what is it, uh, children's Motrin? Does that sound right? But it was like the syrup, you know, and you had like wild cherry and orange. And we had the orange in our house because I refused to take wild cherry. And to be totally honest with you, I refused to take the orange too because it was like a really, really bad version of orange Kool-Aid, like rotten orange Kool-Aid. But as a child, as a little boy, I would be so sick. And I remember going to my dad, dad, I'm so sick. My throat is sore and I'm sniffling. I got a headache and I'm vomiting and all these, you know, all the symptoms of having the flu. And he'd say, son, you need this. You need to take your, this medicine. You'll feel better. No, not doing it. And I would refuse and I would, I would, I would, I would push back. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. And then eventually after about the fifth time that I had puked and like, you know, I just nose wouldn't stop running. I'd have the sores around the edges of my nose from blowing it or wiping it. Let's be fair. I didn't blow it back then. We wiped it across our arm. Let's be honest. Come on. I'm in the house of the Lord. I don't want to get shot down right now. Somebody say amen. <laughs> he would say, son, just take the medicine. Just take it. You'll feel better. And as painful as it was to do something I didn't want to do in the moment, I took the medicine. And how many of you know it didn't take very long? And all of a sudden, I'd start sleeping a little better, and I started feeling a little bit better. And that little bit of thing that I didn't want to do was the very thing that would actually help me. Listen, I want to tell you tonight, when you're in that dark hour, when you're in that low place, sometimes getting in the presence of God or going into a time of prayer or going into a time of worship is the last thing that you want to do. But I'm here to tell you and to prescribe to you this evening. That is the very thing that you need to get filled again. That is the very thing that you need to get through the next tribulation. That is the very thing that you need to get through that dark hour. That is the very thing you need to restore that smile back to your life. The joy back in your household. The peace back in your life. There are so many people that are walking around filled with anxiety and depression and thoughts of suicide. But I'm here to tell you tonight, the only place that you will get restoration and liberty and total deliverance from those things is in the presence of the King. We need to be a presence-driven people. A people that are so desperate that we will do anything to get into his presence. Okay, I have a lot of scripture tonight. It's probably a very short message, but I have to show you something. I got this on Friday night 
And I've been a hot mess since. But in Isaiah chapter 6, in verse 1, the prophet starts out and he says, In the year the king Uzziah died. And then he goes on to describe one of the most intense encounters that we read about in the Bible where he's in the throne room of heaven and he sees God in the most beautiful and manifest way. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But this character Uzziah, who is Uzziah? And why does the prophet start this particular prophecy the way that he does? Because as I was preparing for youth on Friday and I'm, praying and I'm praying and I said, God, what do you want to say this weekend? And I heard Isaiah chapter six and verse one, and it was like ringing in my head. Like I was in a really bad tunnel where it was closed on both ends. And it was like, you know, somebody shouted it from one side and then put a bunch of reverb on it. And it just kept echoing in the year King Uzziah died and it went back and forth. So let's go to second Chronicles chapter 26 in verse 1, and I hope you're okay with it, but we're going to read the whole chapter together here tonight. Is that okay? I told you I have a lot of scripture, but I want you to get the fullness of what I got out of this. And I really pray that this, uh, man, you don't understand. I really pray the same encounter that I had with God when I, when I saw this, I pray that it would manifest in this place tonight in Jesus' name. Second Chronicles 26 and verse 1. It says, now all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. And he built Elath and restored it to Judah after the king rested with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. I would take note of that for just a moment. He reigned for 52 years. It's important. We'll get back to it later, but just remember that portion where it was specifically dated. He ruled as king for 52 years. Is everybody okay? His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah who had understanding in the visions of God and as and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. We could spend the whole night right there and just go to town. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. All of our prosperity, all of our strength, all of our influence, everything that we have, our strength, our power, everything that we have and that we can attain here on this earth is only because of him as long as we are obedient to his word. Amen. Now he went out and he made war against the Philistines and broke down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jebna and the wall of Ashid, and he built cities around Ashid and among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines against the Arabians who lived in Gerbal and against the Munanites. Also, 
The Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah. His fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt, for he became exceedingly strong. And Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the corner buttress of the wall, and he fortified them. And he built towers in the desert, and he dug many wells, for he had much livestock, both in the lowlands and in the plains. And he also had farmers and vine dressers, and in the mountains and in Carmel, for he loved the soil. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of fighting men who went out to war by companies according to the number of their role as prepared by Jael the scribe and uh, Messiah the officer under the hand of Hananiah, one of the king's captains. The total number of chief officers of the mighty men of valor was 2,600. And under their authority was an army of 307,500 that made war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. Then Uzziah prepared for them the entire army, shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows, and slings to cast stones. And he made devices in Jerusalem and invented, uh, invented by skillful men to be on the towers of the corners to shoot arrows and large stones. So his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. That's the New King James. Another translation says that once he was strong in his own heart, or pride entered his heart, iniquity entered into him through self-righteousness and self-exaltation. Is everybody with me so far? But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. Pride entered in. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So Azariah the priest went in after him. And with him, 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they withstood King Uzziah and said, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who were consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed, and you shall have no honor from the Lord. Then Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord besides, beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and there on his forehead was he was leprous. So they thrust him out of that place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out of there because the Lord had struck him. King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death, and he dwelt in an isolated house, separated, because he was a leper. For he was cut off from the house of the Lord, and then Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah from the first to last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, wrote. 
So Uzziah rested with his fathers and they buried him with his fathers in the field of burial, which belonged to the kings. For they said, he is a leper. Then Jotham, his son, reigned in that place. First and foremost, Uzziah was a good king. Uzziah is recorded as one of the good kings of Judah. Is everybody with me so far? He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He did many great things because he submitted to the parameters of biblical authority. He sought out Zechariah, who was a prophet in the time, who had understanding of the visions. He understood the signs in the time and he would go to Zechariah to receive information and how to rule and to govern the land. Man, I wish our governing bodies of the United States of America, man, I wish and I pray in Jesus' name, God, let there be a shift that even our president and our vice president and our Congress and Senate and House of Representatives would once again seek the face of God. Let them once again seek the voice of God for themselves or through prophets. But either way, let them seek your word, Lord, in ruling and governing this land. For when we seek your face, you will make us prosperous. But recognize that's how his ministry or his reign started. But then things started going well. And he started going to war and claiming territory and taking ground for the tribe of Judah. And little bit by bit, as he began to grow and as he began to get older, he became more successful and he became more prosperous, and he had more things, and he had lots of cattle, and he had lots of wells, and he, be, he was very intelligent. He hired the right people at the right time to make the right instruments of war so that they could yet again claim even more territory. He was extremely successful. But this is the problem, because pride and presumption and self-exaltation and self-righteousness is a very sneaky thing. And it's very quiet. And it can look totally different to what we think it will look like. Because self-exaltation for a lot of people is, you know, the pompous, boisterous individual that's higher and mightier than all, right? But the presence of God is not a common thing. And see, when the presence of God is in a place and we silently in our own hearts, because see, this problem was an outward experience that happened in the temple. But the problem started in his heart because iniquity will always enter in the heart. 
And the iniquity came in because he was better than everyone else. He knew better than everyone else. And he entered into the temple and he entered to burn incense on the altar of incense, which mind you was a good thing. Can somebody say amen? But the good thing outside of grace and your delegated authority can be a wrong thing. Can I get a bigger amen? So we came to the house of the Lord with the intention to do the right thing. But that wasn't his grace measure. That wasn't his authority because his grace and his authority was to be king. The Levite and the priest, that was their grace to come and burn incense on the altar of incense. But he was better and he knew better. Now we're seeing the extreme case. But I wonder how many Christians and how many believers come into the house of the Lord where the presence of God is and we spend so much time in our minds being self-exalted and, and giving ourselves a higher self-esteem in our minds and we allow our pride to get in the way and our own reputation to get in the way and we don't enter into a place of worship and we don't access the presence of God because of the same reason. Let's come full circle. Shortest message I've ever preached. I'm coming to a close. In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah said, In the year King Uzziah died. In order to get the context of this, you've got to realize Uzziah was an extremely educated man. He was, his vocabulary as a prophet was elevated. He was able to articulate and, and to prophesy things with intense clarity and detail. Every scholar that I read, because again, the only thing I got on Friday night was in the year King Uzziah died. And I said, God, what are you trying to say to me? So I opened up my Logos and I did the best Pastor Alex I could possibly pull and I went to every possible scholar that I could read, and I opened up every bit of information that I could possibly glean off of Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. And from what I have gathered, every single commentator across the board that commentates on that specific verse states one thing. The prophet Isaiah was extremely articulate. So when he would prophesy, or when he would try to date a prophecy, which is what he was doing, is everybody with me so far? He was trying to date the time in which the the Lord encountered him in the time in which this prophecy was coming. And he dated it by using the year that King Uzziah died. Unfortunately, this raises the eyebrow to a lot of commentators because a more eloquent way, which would be more in line with the prophet Isaiah, would have been something along the lines of in the 52nd year of Uzziah's reign or at the end of King Uzziah's reign. And then we follow on with the prophecy. So I ask the question, if we see the story of Uzziah, who started out right, but because of self-exaltation, because of self-reputation, because of pride, he fell. And if this is what the life of Uzziah represents, 
is not allowing self-exaltation and pride to enter our lives. When I read Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, when the prophet Isaiah states, in the year King Uzziah died, that gives me a whole different context. Because now, to me, that reads, in the year my pride died. In the year my own self-exaltation died. In the year my reputation died. In the year everything that I lifted myself up above the Lord Jesus himself died. In the moment that I realized that me, myself, and I didn't get me there. It was him and him alone. In that moment when I realized that it's only because of him and by him. And in his presence, I have joy. And in his presence, I have peace. In the year, King. Uzziah died. Are you with me tonight? Can we put Isaiah chapter 6 on the screen for just a moment? Oh Lord, let it be so. God, let it be so. Please, Lord, let it be so. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Verse 2, and above it seraphim, each one had six wings, and two covered his face, and with two covered his feet, and with two he flew. Verse 3, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 4, and the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Verse 5, and I said, Woe is me, for I am unclean, because I have a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for I have, I have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. See, when we study Old Testament, most people will agree that the Old Testament is a type and shadow or a physical representation of a spiritual dynamic, a spiritual encounter, or a spiritual concept to be gleaned from the New Testament. And if we really wanted to, we could take the time and tie in what the prophet Isaiah is busy prophesying right there and how that ties into Jesus. And it's beautiful, and I ask you to do that on your own time. Somebody say amen. amen. What I came here tonight to hopefully encourage somebody with, it's in the presence of God that there's fullness of joy. It's in the presence of God that there is true rest. It's in the presence of God that there is true deliverance and liberty. It's in his presence that there is healing. But in the year King Uzziah died, and then the Shekinah glory filled the temple. The weight of his glory filled the temple. That is my prayer tonight, that every single person in this place myself included we would lay down our reputation we would lay down who we think we are and realize and understand in the magnificence of his glory we are nothing without him God I pray
Let your glory fill the temple tonight in the name of Jesus. Let the smoke of your glory rest in this place in Jesus' name. God, I pray for every person who needs an encounter and who needs a fresh touch from you. God, I ask tonight that as we would worship you, that your manifest presence would come and fill this place in the mighty and the precious name of Jesus. And right there where you're at, if you say, Pastor Mike, you are preaching to me, I'm gonna open up the altars and I want you guys to come and flood the altars. We're gonna worship. I don't want anybody laying hands. This is not a moment for anybody to do anything to anyone. But I wanna give an opportunity to access the presence of God and let him encounter us because it's in his presence that there is true joy. It's in his presence that there is actual peace. So if you don't mind, let's stand to our feet for just a moment. And again, I'm going to open up the altars. You can stay in your seat. You can worship right there where you're at. Or you can come down and flood the altars wherever you've... The only thing I ask is, please, this is not a moment for anyone to be laying hands on anyone or anybody to be praying for anyone. Please hear my heart. This is a moment for us to be real with God. If you have in any way, shape, or form exalted yourself above God in any way, if you've allowed your reputation to get in the way of being broken before God, I'm going to say that again. If you've allowed your reputation to get in the way of being broken before God, this is our opportunity tonight. Amen? Amen. Let's worship the Father right now.
everyone in this moment, just lift your hands. If you're in this place and you need rest, true rest, just begin to cry out to the Lord right here in this moment. Come on, if you're in this place and you need peace, true peace, not like the peace that the world gives, but the peace that is only found in his presence, just begin to cry out to him. Just begin to, to ask him, Lord, we need your presence in this place. God, we desire to have more of you in our lives. If you're in this place and you need restoration in an area, liberty from something, just begin to cry out to him in this moment. It's in his presence that everything begins to change. It's in his presence that everything begins to shift. Oh God, we call on you tonight. Holy Spirit, we call upon heaven tonight. We cry out to you tonight. Come and fill this place. Father, it's your presence. Oh God, let us be like Moses. Let us be a generation, God, that would desire to speak to you ourselves instead of always looking for a man to speak to you for us. Oh God, let us be a generation that has a relationship with you face to face, panim to panim, God. It's in your presence. It's in your presence where everything begins to change. Oh, I thank you for your presence in this place. I thank you that even right here in this moment, you're touching individuals. I thank you, God, that in this moment, you're healing individuals even now. Even now, there's emotional pain that's going right now. Right now. Oh, God, I thank you for your presence. I thank you, God, because you're, re you're restoring marriages even right now. Even right now, I, I, I thank you, God, for that restoration. That only comes from your presence, Lord. Oh, God, I thank you. You're, you're, you're rekindling fires, and you're blowing a fresh wind on those coals that have burning low, Father. I thank you, God, because you're restoring, and you're birthing revival inside the hearts of many, even in this place right now. God, I thank you. I thank you for your presence, God. Father, my only prayer tonight, such a simple word. There's no deep revelation in this. Other than, Lord, we need more of you. And that's what we desire. God, I come before you and I repent. If I have ever treated the anointing or the presence of God as a common thing. God, I come before you and I repent. If I have ever gotten complacent under the presence of the king. Lord, and I pray as David prayed. Father, you could take everything from me, but do not take your Holy Spirit from me. I need your presence.
Lord, I give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. I thank you, Father. We love you and appreciate you so much. Go with your people as they go their way. Be with them this weekend. I pray a special blessing over every mother, every grandmother, every mother-to-be, and every mom who wants to be a mom. Father, I just pray that you would bless them and touch them tomorrow, that tomorrow would be a fantastic day for them, and that you would truly bless them and honor them. Lord, bless the service tomorrow. Let it be powerful, God. And yes, even on Mother's Day, let us seek after your presence, even in that, Lord. For we truly are a presence-driven church. And I thank you for this house, and I thank you for our pastors. And as a body, we give you the praise, the honor, and the glory tonight. In Jesus' mighty and precious name, and everybody agreed and said, amen and amen. Lord, bless you. Have a wonderful evening. If you have prayer requests or need prayer for anything, there will be some leaders up here in the front to minister to you. I love you guys so much, and I'm so thankful for what God is doing. Bless you in Jesus' name.